Hello, you're listening to No Such Word Is Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, I get to welcome Kat Sims to the podcast, otherwise known as Not So Smug Now. Welcome, Kat. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Hazel. I'm so excited to talk to you, but you have your finger in so many pies that I almost don't know where to start. You're an author, a podcast host, relatable creator. But for anyone who maybe doesn't know you or isn't familiar with what you do, could you introduce yourself? Of course I can. Thank you so much. Uh, so I'm Kat Sims, otherwise known as Not So Smug Now on uh, Instagram and TikTok. I, it's all, you say fingers in so many pies. I'm really trying to have less fingers in less pies. It's not going as well as I'd hoped. Um, but yes, I am basically, everything I do in any kind of context is always about trying to make women and parents feel a bit more seen and a bit more understood like they like they're not the only one mm. um and so that's basically the mission across everything uh, that I do is just is just for parents because this whole parenting thing is not easy and uh it's like the world's biggest fattest well-kept secret that we all are supposed to love being a parent actually it's just truly fucking hard I haven't even checked if I can swear yet. Oh, you can. I'm Glaswegian. Go ahead. Amazing. <laughs> uh, it's really fucking hard. And so I kind of try to normalize that and make everybody feel a little bit better about it. Yeah. And, you know, you've spoken about that's where your kind of title of Not So Smug Now came from because you almost felt like you thought you had it together, as so many of us do, and then realized, oh, my God, this is really difficult. Oh, I was a wanker. If I could go back, I want to punch myself in the face. I was like pregnant and I'd like stroke my bump and I'd be like, oh my God, my kid's going to eat organic food and play with wooden toys and wear dinner plastic in <laughs> And then we're going to have screens. And now I think, what a cock. And, um, and that's what it was. I was so smug and I had no idea. And it's not that people are idiots. Uh, it's just that there's absolutely no way that you can know until you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just no getting away from that fact. And so that's why I'm not so smug now. And it's a constant, I mean, I, I find that parenting, parenting now, mine are nine and six, it's still a humbling experience mm. on a daily basis. And so for me, it's always good to remind myself that you've never got this sorted. Yeah. And at what point did you realize, I want to start talking about this? Because you started off with your blog. So what was the driving force behind that? So it was July 2014, and I was in the deepest, darkest depths of undiagnosed uh, postnatal depression at the time. Um, And I'd had Billy in the November of the previous year, uh, so she wasn't quite a year old. And my husband had been there for the first month and then had gone on tour for seven months. He's a musician, so he'd just, he'd gone. Um, And I had been, I mean, I joke about being really smug, and I was, but it came from a place of real kind of fear and insecurity, I guess, as it had my whole life. Like my whole life, I had been like, if I am prepared and organized and work hard, I will succeed. 
Mm-hmm. And that had been that had come as a reaction to me being in primary school, where I was an absolute disaster as a human, um, because I could never remember anything. I forgot PE kits, swimming kits, maths homework all the time. I was in the wrong place. I was never where I should be. I'd missed guitar lessons, whatever it was. I could never figure my sort my shit out. So, and now I know that's ADHD, but at the time I didn't. So, as a reaction to that, I kind of just masked it so tightly that I was mm. in such control all the time, and I had to be on top of everything. And I approached parenting in the same way. And I was like, I'm going to read all the books, and I'm going to get all the stuff. And my God, my to to any midwife that had any contact with me during my first birth, I really feel the need to apologise deeply because <laughs> I turned up with um, a birth plan, which is what we called them then. I think now they're birth preferences, but at the time it was a birth plan. This is how it's going to happen. Uh, I like preferences. It kind of takes, it's kind of like, this is what you might prefer, but it might not go this way. Yeah, I think in my book I write, what do, I'll find it, but essentially it's like, let's just get through this. As yeah. As fucking possible. That's now my mantra mm. for, any, for if I was to do it again. Um, but I, it, I turned up with a birth plan that was four sides of A4, double-sided, colour-coded, and I shit you not, it was also laminated. And I honestly can just imagine the conversation at the midwife station going who does this bitch think she is (laughs) and they were right because all of that shit that I put down it just it made no sense and I'm and I'm not joking you know if you are having your first baby the thing that I found out having my second baby when I decided I needed to do it slightly differently because of course there's absolutely nothing that you can control Mm. you can have an idea of how you want things to go when it comes to birth but you can't control anything and so I went I hypnobirthed in my second which I didn't want to do because I thought it was a bit vagina whispery but my friend was a hypnobirth teacher so I thought I'll give it a try and I honestly can't remember what happened but the one thing that really stood out to me is because it's actually based in science and she said your uterus is a muscle and Mm. when it's giving birth it contracts and relaxes and as a muscle for it to work at its most efficient it needs really good oxygenated blood and I was Mm -hmm. like I used to be an athlete so that this makes perfect sense to me and she said the problem is if you freak out you'll create loads of adrenaline and all that really oxygen rich blood will get sent to your brain your heart your legs for like fight or flight mode yeah you're already there your uterus is still going to have to do it but it's going to do it on limited resources and it's going to be more painful longer and harder and I was like why has nobody ever said this to me I'm like so all you're saying is I just need to stay calm she's like yeah and hypnobirthing is one way of doing it but actually if you've got another way of staying calm that's really all it is she said even if something goes horribly wrong you're always going to benefit from staying Mm. calm and I was like well this is game changing and I went from having a first birth which was like 38 hours really traumatic crash cart came in twice I was like seconds away from a c-section it was horrendous uh to having like three hours water birth at home not even a paracetamol which isn't what wow. I'm bragging about that but it was just like and the only difference was understanding the importance of managing adrenaline in my body during the yeah birth. anyway that has nothing to do with the question you asked. The question you asked is, why did you start writing? Don't think I haven't forgotten. Um, and anyway, so I'm in the midst of postnatal depression following a traumatic birth. And I'd always written that I'd always been like my release. Even mm. as a teenager, I used to write wanky poetry and, you know, all the rest of it. And so I started writing. I just wrote this blog and I put it on Facebook. I didn't even have a website. You know, it was just like one of those Facebook posts. Mm. And 
I went to bed and the next morning it had three and a half thousand views, which at that time was massive. Yeah. I had about 300 friends. Um, and so I thought, oh my God, there's something here. Like there's something here. People are desperate to hear another narrative about parenting that isn't breastfeeding and Annabelle Carmel and all of that MCT rubbish. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to hear what's actually happening for real mums in real houses in real time and to feel like they're not alone yeah and that's it and you know you're never the only one that's the reason that my podcast is called that and why that's such a mantra for me because parenting and motherhood especially in the early days especially if you're new to it is probably the single most isolating thing you'll ever do yeah because as much as you'll have friends and support around you you're so unprepared for the feelings that you get whether they're good or bad actually and it's very very difficult to talk about there's not much space given for people for mothers to have very open and honest conversations about how they're really feeling there's certainly not any non-judgmental spaces and as much as I try and make my platforms one of that I can't control what other people on there will you know people I'm never going to judge anybody but there are wankers out there that do feel the need to Mm -hmm. their own triggers upon somebody else and so it's a very, very difficult thing, but that's how it started. And then obviously Insta- Instagram came into the picture and um, that just became such a great instant tool to connect with parents that uh, that sort of became a focus, like the central point of what Not So Smug's about. And and we're still there and I absolutely love the community. Yeah, I think one thing I love about the way you talk about motherhood or the way you talk about parenting is I feel like so many people focus on the children or the babies but you definitely focus on you can be a mum but you're still the same person that you were before you had kids and it's okay to be that person yeah and I also think that we we're we're not you can love your kids deeply and you can be a great mum but that doesn't mean that you have to love the job of motherhood. Mm. And it is a job. And anybody who does love it, I have to say, must be lying. Like, And I am really being specific about the job of motherhood. The picking up, the dropping off, the fucking socks that get left stuffed down sofas, the sticky sweets that you know you find everywhere, the tantrums, the crying, the I don't want to get in the shower, the I don't want to get out of the shower, the swimming lessons, all of that shit is really hard work and that's okay and it is mind-numbingly boring and of course it's fulfilling in certain ways but generally it's just a bit shit and it's okay to struggle with that that doesn't in any way undermine the love you have for your kids or the kind of mum that you want to be and speaking openly about that is so important and I need I really want to smash through this because I think so many people get all that stuff mixed up but actually those two things can be true at the same time. You can be a great mom, but hate the job of motherhood or even hate the job of motherhood at certain times. You know, I love newborns. They're gorgeous. They're snuggly. And as long as breastfeeding's going right and feeding's not far, they sleep a lot. They don't move. You can watch loads of box sets and they're great. From about six months to four, I really struggle. I hate everything about that. That doesn't mean I didn't love my kids. It doesn't mean yeah. I wasn't a good mom. But it does mean that I hated that period. 
Well, I think in life, everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses and things that they're really good at and things that they're not, you know, so you could be really great at certain aspects of parenting or raising children and not so great at others. And, you know, I have a lot of little cousins and I'm similar to you. I love babies, newborns, great. Give me them for all the cuddles. Toddlers terrify me. No, thank you. You're sticky and loud. Go away. And you're completely feral. Like there is no negotiating. You have always lost with a toddler. You always yeah. have to concede. And it's and, and that's fine. Jimmy, my husband, thank God, loves that period. Mm. He loves the little ones. And and I mean, I, when I was a teacher, I taught secondary school. That is my space. And now my nine-year-old is a joy. Like I love her. I love parenting her. That doesn't mean I love fucking schlepping around taking her to dance classes all the time in the rain and managing a dog and a six-year-old I don't love doing that but I love my nine-year-old I love the conversations that we have I'm coming into my own as a parent at this sort of level and that is joyful for me um and I think it's really easy when you're in a in a certain age group when you're in a certain point of parenting to think this is how it's always going to be it's like it's not Mm. it's actually just the the very beginning of what's a what's a completely tumultuous varied ride um and it's not always going to be like this if you're really struggling with toddlers chances are as they get older you're going to be like oh this is bliss and let me tell you eight to ten is like sweet sweet spot (laughs) oh my god she can make me a cup of tea she tells jokes that make sense that are actually funny (laughs) you know what i mean rather than the other jokes that they used to make that make absolutely no sense she is wicked fun she's polite even if she can be a little bit of a rat bag to us at home when we take her out into public we know that she is bang on with mm. matters. eight to ten is a sweet spot what was it like for you after you got some attention for your blogging and it started to gain traction and you weren't shying away from talking about these things what was it like dealing with the backlash and the unsolicited advice and all of that yeah it it, there was a lot of that at the beginning and I think it was a a mixture of reasons I think firstly talking about these things using a platform for a specific reason rather than just a personal thing was was quite a new thing Mm. so I think there was some resistance to who on earth do I think I am and why have I got what have I got anything to say about Mm. which is absolutely valid by the way um so I think there was like who is she and what's she doing so there was that kind of backlash uh but I think as well it was still very early on and people weren't really having these honest conversations and I think it triggered a lot of people and I I totally get it a hundred percent I have learned that there is like the trolling trifactor of of things that you should never really talk about if you don't want to get trolled as a parent influencer content creator blogger whatever and that is of course breastfeeding versus bottle feeding well not versus any kind of discussion Mm. about feeding babies um co-sleeping uh or sleep training do (laughs) not discuss any of those three things because they are so triggering for so many mums not because those mums are horrible people but because without doubt every single mum has been through some sort of trauma regarding one of those three things and when I say Mm. trauma I don't mean necessarily capital T trauma but I mean little t trauma it could just be that at one point somebody made a comment to them about one of those things and that and that is now a trigger 
you know, and I think of those things that get people get people get told. You know, I remember being told on the feeding issue by a health visitor, I really struggled to breastfeed my first kid. And I think that had a lot to do with how traumatic the whole experience yeah. was. But I could not get on top of breastfeeding. And it was miserable. And it was still at a time nearly 10 years ago where it was very much breast is best. This is the best thing to do. And after about nine weeks of me just, I mean, constant mastitis, blisters, bleeding, Oof. soreness. You know, it got to the point where she would wake up and people would hand, somebody would hand her to me to feed her and I'd be shaking. Like, I couldn't. Oh, it's not worth it. No, and I was crying. It was horrendous. And my mum said, look, I've sat here and I've watched and I've tried to keep my mouth shut, but it's, this, is, this is devastating to watch. Like, it makes me cry a bit now, actually. Mm. But she was like, this is too much. I can't watch you go through this. She's like, you have to give this baby a bottle. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I said, and Jimmy went out to get formula in a bottle and he came back and I made Jimmy hold the bottle with me. Like we both had to give her that first bottle because I was just. You didn't want to shoulder all of the guilt. The, I didn't want to be the one. And then yeah. the next morning, funnily enough, the baby slept like you would not believe that night. Of course she not, did. And it's not because of the formula. It was because everybody was just way more relaxed, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and I called the next morning and I was hysterical down the phone to the health visitor. Like, I could barely get my words out. And I said, I just need you to tell me. I've given her formula for the first time and I just need to hear that I'm not a shit mum. And she said, don't worry. You can always try to undo the damage you've done when it comes to <gasps> She did not say that. That is what she said. And even now, that gives me goosebumps. And that was one of the most probably one of the most traumatic things anybody has ever said to me and that's what I mean by little t trauma it wasn't you know uh, there wasn't any sort of it was just one sentence that was said to me that to this day I am still in therapy unpacking to this day still if I am not aware will influence my reactions and actions sometimes because that idea of doing damage to my children that I might be able to you know fix at some point is is always going to be with me <clears throat> okay first things first how many people are asking Billy now at her age oh were you breastfed or bottle fed no nobody in fact exactly. very few people ask me if she was yeah. breastfed or bottle fed like nobody gives a shit yeah and and it's and you're so right. And the rational part of my brain and the rational part of mm. all these other women's brains who lash out and troll or lash out and say things knows that this is not how they want to be acting. But that trauma or that whatever that is, that experience that has made this a trigger is so real. And because there's no safe spaces for us to talk about this stuff, there's no safe spaces for us to work it out. Yeah. So th this constant battering of mums and this competition that we find all comes from this place where women in general and mums in particular have been let down massively, mentally and emotionally and physically often by the government and the people that provide services to help new parents because there's just not enough. And I'm not blaming the NHS or maternity nurses or even health visitors, despite that one. Uh, because they do all the very best that they could do. Yeah. My health visitor could just have been having a really shit day. But 
I try to remember whenever I'm trolled, it's always about them and not about... I mean, sometimes it's about me, actually. Sometimes I've just fucked up and I've said something really insensitive and I haven't thought it through. That has happened. I will hold my hands up. But nine times out of ten, it's not that these days. I have learned to be a bit more self-aware. Yeah. You know, nine times out of ten, it is a reaction and I have to go, do you know what? There is some pain there and there is some trauma there. And it's not for me to tell her that. It's not for me to go, well, I think you need to figure out where this is coming from. It's just for me to accept and let that person feel how they feel. And so I try not to take it personally anymore. And to be honest, with time, you do get a thicker skin and you get to handle it a bit better. And you realize that you're never going to please anybody, everybody. Yeah, I think as well, like the the space that you've created on your corner of the internet, I think it is a safe space for for mums or parents or people struggling struggling in their relationships or even in themselves can kind of come and see parts of themselves in you or in what you're talking about and be like, hey, you know, that's what we're going through. That's what I'm going through. Um, But how do you maintain being so open and honest on the internet for so many people, but also maintaining some boundaries? You know, you're so open about your relationships with your beautiful daughters and your husband. How do you still maintain some boundaries? Boundaries hasn't always been uh, something I'm great at, uh, but for me, it's a very, it's less an external thing. It's less, I mean, there are definitely, I'm very careful, certainly when it comes to talking about the kids or featuring the kids or talking about my marriage or anything to do with Jimmy specifically, I'm very careful about making sure they're comfortable with it. So it's Mm. very little that I'll share about either of them unless, uh, any of them, unless there's approval. Um, but in terms of boundaries, for me, they're very emotional boundaries rather than I'm never going to talk about this, this and this. Mm. It's more like, how do I feel about discussing this emotionally? And and if I'm discussing this, why am I discussing this? Like, am I discussing this mm. because <clears throat> I want more clicks and likes? Or am I discussing this because it, I genuinely think this is helpful or this is relatable or this is something that people will want to consume of content Mm. and you know there are times definitely when I go no do you know what that is clickbait that is my version of clickbait and we don't need to do that Mm -hmm. and things change you know when I came out of being sober and identifying as an alcoholic I had to think very long and hard about whether I was going to do that and when I decided that I was going to break my own anonymity on that I had long conversations with my sponsor about it and she said the same thing. She said, you just need to be very clear on why you're doing it. You know, is this about helping others? And I was like, it really is for me. I'm very conscious of making sure that I use that word purposefully mm-hmm. and identify as an alcoholic on purpose because I know it's a word that a lot of people don't like and it's not a word that everybody has to use. But I also know how incredible Alcoholics Anonymous as a program has been for me. And I just always hate the idea of somebody not trying AA or or even considering it because of what it's called. Mm. And so I'm like, it doesn't really matter how you drink or what you're drinking. But if you are struggling and it's not enhancing your life, then Alcoholics Anonymous will help you, even if you don't want to call yourself an alcoholic semantics but when I came out very openly about that I had to really understand why I was doing it and I think that's 
that's my version of boundaries. There's nothing, you know, when we're doing like a pre-prod talk and you're like, is there anything? I'm like, there's no boundaries on what you can talk about. And there isn't. There'll be as much, so I will decide what my boundaries are and how yeah. much I share. But often it's just about how I'm feeling and being clear about why I'm talking about it. I think you or for me following you or anyone who's followed along with your journey you have this I think it's a massive strength of yours personally that you have this ability to kind of you go through your life and you notice what's going on with either your behavior or the situation that you're in whether that's in regards to your children or to parenthood or with your marriage or your sobriety and you kind of catch yourself and then go wait this isn't serving me this isn't what I want let's talk about it let's fix it you know and I know there's a lot of people who'll be listening to this podcast who who aren't parents but you know I'm not a parent myself but I resonate so much with your content as well I found you when you were talking about couples therapy and going to therapy with your husband and all of the conversations that you guys had together and specifically not just posting the highlight reel of your relationship was massive yeah and 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 that was something that I really had to convince Jimmy on. And I don't know if you, I did a podcast episode where I was, where just Jimmy and I, <coughs> excuse me, I've, I'm currently suffering from <laughs> a, that nasty bug that's going around because my throat's a bit scratchy. And it took me a while to convince him. And again, with that, going back to that boundaries, he needed to know why we were doing it. Mm. And over the years of me talking about it, I would show him things of people going, this has really helped, or thank you for being so honest. And so when he agreed, <coughs> that was why, because he could see that there, it was adding value. Yeah. And in certain, it's not a highlight reel, obviously, by any stretch of the imagination, but I also don't want to sit here and say it's completely authentic and as we are. It's as authentic as it absolutely can be but it would be disingenuous for me to say that of course it's not always a construct to some mm. degree right I, I am performing because by the very nature of anything if you put a camera in front of it it becomes a performance and so in that sense everything I say and do and feel is true but of course there's an element of performance to it it's not I've not necessarily always done it in the moment you know, sometimes I've come back and I've gone, I've thought about this and this is what I realized. I'm not like brilliant. At, I am. I have to be self-aware because I'm an addict and, and I wouldn't stay sober if I wasn't. And the 12 steps has taught me a lot about how I need to think about my thinking. I have mm. to recognize that those thoughts, all my thoughts and feelings are not facts. And they need assessing their signposts to something else. Like, what? why am I feeling this way? Mm -hmm. Why have I reacted like that? Um, but it's a process. And, you know, it was therapy, <clears throat> excuse me, that really helped. And it's just learning. And, it's, and, it, and I'm trying to get it into being a habit, but it's, at the moment, it's hit and miss. But, you know, I think that's what we can all do. Progress, not perfection. And I just try to be really aware of what my part in any conflict is and uh you know I come from a school of being very defensive and completely unable to apologize very uncomfortable with vulnerability um and couples therapy marriage being a parent <clears throat> being an addict all of those things if I'm going to do them even halfway well require 
me to learn how to take responsibility, to learn how to apologize and to focus on what my part in it is. You know, because even if my husband does something that is, is genuinely widely accepted as being a bit of a twatty thing, like he did the other day when he made a joke about me being on my period on the first day of my period. Taking his life in his hands. I know, I don't know what possessed him. I still have to recognize, <clears throat> excuse me, I still have to recognize that my mood in, like affected my response. It wasn't a smart decision of his, but I didn't need to be that much of a of a bitch about it like I could mm. have laughed it off if I'd have dug a little bit deeper mm -hmm. and so all of that stuff you know has really helped me to figure out that I <clears throat> that I am totally responsible for what my life looks like and how I am perceived I honestly love that and there's there were three words that you said that I just you just hit the nail on the head progress not perfection because I think so many of us look on social media or other couples or other parents or even other people and just think, oh my God, they have their life together. Like how many times have you been out in public and seen a random family that you don't know the first thing about and go, oh my God, they've got it. They've got it together. Like they have that figured out. And, you know, the truth is that behind closed doors or, you know, you, you just, you don't know everything about anyone. You don't know what anyone's going through. And I'm very guilty of only posting the highlight reel. Um, and I think if you look at my TikTok or my Instagram, especially with me and my husband, people definitely jump to a conclusion of, oh my God, you guys are perfect. I get that comment all the time. And we are anything but, you know, if I'm being totally transparent, like we've been married six, just over six months and it's been the hardest six months of our relationship. Yeah, well, let me let me be brutally honest about... Um about marriage and this is completely unsolicited advice because you didn't ask for it <laughs> if you'd let me ask for it I would give it <laughs> <laughs> I know if you just let me get a word in edgeways um, <laughs> I marriage is really fucking hard a bit like parenting is um you don't know what it's like until you're in it and I do believe that we have as a generation been sold this Hollywood myth of what a what a relationship what a good mm. marriage looks like and it's generally based on being um, completely telepathic and understanding exactly what your partner wants <clears throat> at any given time in any given moment without being told um always looking perfectly shaggable um always wanting to actually rip each other's clothes off and have fantastic sex on the kitchen counters as soon as the kids are out of the picture having kids uh, never fighting and always sitting down to eat your meal together <clears throat> this frog in my throat i swear to god <laughs> And it's just not like that. Um, I remember when I met Jimmy and I sort of knew it was special, but I also was quite worried because rather than that kind of infatuation, breathless, oh my God, he's texted me. Is he ever going to text me, call me? Oh, he wants to see me. So it wasn't that. It was a very quiet, heavy feeling that I had. Mm. <clears throat> and it was always based in just this unspoken security and confidence and trust that I'd never had mm. before. That did not mean that we had by any stretch an easy run of it. He is still, and I believe, the absolutely perfect person for me. But we nearly divorced. 
And it was because I think we both just had these enormously unrealistic expectations of what the other person was going to provide for us. Mm. And yet neither of us were really spending much time thinking about what we were providing to the other person. Like what was our role in this relationship? I was very Mm. focused on what he wasn't doing, what he didn't bring, what he didn't say or do. And I never really thought much about what he was expecting from me that I didn't deliver on. I was a brilliant partner. He was the one that was the problem. And, you know, that's been a learning curve for us. And acceptance of what a marriage actually is can take quite a long time. What a good marriage actually is can take, took me quite a long time to come to. But for me, knowing that he's always got my back and that we have developed a way of communicating that, although isn't perfect, (coughs) does mean that we rarely now get into those out and out ragey fights which we're mm. so good at um and and it's and that's okay you know and and that's what's important to me now being able to have those conversations and knowing that i have got somebody who regardless is on my side yeah i think that's so important and Going back to those words, progress, not perfection, which 100% is going to be the title of this episode because I just love well, that. What a I gem. I to say, that is, I cannot take any credit for that. That is um, a 12-step that, uh, like mantra, progress, not perfection. Um, if you, if anybody is listening is in the 12-step, they will be like, obviously, she's an AA. <laughs> she is. Um, and AA has the most incredible set of, like, what you could refer to as cliches, but actually fucking nails so yeah key things and progress not perfection is one of my key mantras and it and I got it through the 12 steps yeah what a gem um and I think you have made so much progress not only in your life but also in your career with not so smug now with everything that's come from it going from that one blog post on Facebook in 2014 to almost 10 years later now with your first book out like my goodness look look how far you've come look at all of that progress and I hope it's going to be the first of the first of many books well it yeah so I've got it here just in case you know so maybe if you can describe to the listeners what it is because it's not just a book it's a journal it's a guide it's it's a lot of different things so it's one of those baby record books that until my book came out were very uh, not inclusive. I think most of them just assumed that a man and a woman put a penis in a vagina and nine months, ten months later had a baby. This is a book that I really wanted to be very, very inclusive. So whether you're a same-sex couple or transgender or IVF or solo or adopted or however it is that you become somebody in charge of a small human, uh, I hope that this is a book that you will find useful and that speaks to you. Um, but really, you can record in there all the usual stuff, like first tooth and <clears throat> the date they took their first step and all of that. But actually, it's really parent-centric, and there's lots of writing in there and, and stories, you know, things like the things about the hypnobirthing I talked about at the beginning, the uterus stuff, like those little snippets that really helped me, and those moments, I really speak openly about them, about where you think that you're messing up, and actually these are the moments that we all go through and it's fine to make a decision. 
based on your own intuition. And I think for me, I just wanted new parents to have a book that they could fill in if they wanted to. To be honest, <coughs> fill it in, don't fill it in. I don't care. But I hope that the, the bits that I've written in there are really, really useful that make parents feel a little bit more comfortable and a little less stressed and anxious. Um, and I also hope it's the first of many, although the second book is being written and it's completely different. And uh, HarperCollins published the first one. I don't know if they're going to publish the second one, but they, they do definitely want to see it. But it's a novel. So, Yay! Um, it's something completely different, what I've always really wanted to do. Um, so watch this space. Hopefully uh, we'll be able to you know, announce that there's a second book coming out soon. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to stay tuned for that for sure. And I wish you the very best of luck with it. But Pat, thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us and giving us so many nuggets of wisdom. And if you guys want to follow along with Kat's journey, all of her links are in the description of this episode, or you can find her on all socials at Not So Smug Now. All socials except Twitter, because I don't, I can't bear it. Um, and also the book's available via Amazon and other good bookstores but to be honest I know everybody hates Amazon but Amazon's actually really good for authors because those reviews and ratings really really count and those member sales are important so just ignore the fact that you're lining Jeff Watts's Chopsy's pocket and recognize that you're helping small authors that would be great thanks oh all of my listeners will already know all about that from me so don't worry they will be heading straight Amazing. to all of those links if you are a new parent if you're about to become a parent go and get your hands on a copy now or if you or if you need a really good baby shower gift oh yeah that's a great idea actually that's such a good idea and then if you're a parent you could already put in like a couple of little nuggets of your own amazing there is a space there is a space yeah. for, for you to do that it's all there yeah i love it well cat thank you so much for coming on today Thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Sharing on social media is always a bonus, and I will catch you guys next week.